and Sheer on air. Ruchim Aboyim. Those that will show, those who are coming. This week we're discussing Pashva Yeshev. And more so, tonight being Yutes Kislev. We will also expand our Sheer tonight a little overtime for those that will stay on afterwards until after for Fabrengen. For your test, kiss, slave. Uh, hello, I have too much noise back there. Pashva Yeshev, in its own right, is a very ironic name. And although Pashva Yishlach is more apropos, is more connected sometimes to Yutes Kislev. It was Pashva Yeshev, Tuesday, Pashva Yeshev, the Yutes Kislev, that the Altarebbe was freed from prison. And both of them have a lot in common. The concept of a Yeshev, which is in a question of its own, how does it get such a name? Vayeshev is Bikesh, Yaakov, Vashev is Bishalva. Yaakov wanted to settle down. He wanted to now rest. He wanted to be relaxed. He wanted to be calm. And the Altarebbe had almost the same approach. Because when Mendel Harodaka was chosen as Rebbe after the Masrich Magid, he decided to leave. He could no longer take Europe because of the antagonism of the Misnagdin. I don't know about you people. Uh, anyone saying Lachayim, say Lachayims. I'm not pouring for anybody. I want to take the yellows over there, the whites over here. You can't reach across this table. It doesn't happen. It's too wide. Because Yaakov was Shavas Mishal without Rebbe's, when he wanted to leave with Rendel Haradaka, they stopped by the Gvul on the way out of Russia and they told the Alt Rebbe, You have no choice to go back because the Magid told you that this is your job, this is your place, this is what you have to do, and that is to continue. The spreading of Yiddish, of Chsidis in Russia, and although Bikesh Yaakov Lashavas Mishalva and the Alt Rebbe too wanted to join in Eretz Yisrael and peacefully learn Chsidis, they were both rejected and they both were given the job and the task that they had to face. So the question is, of course, by Yeshev Yaakov Beretz Mugurei Aviv, how could you call this Pasha by Yeshev? Of Yaakov settling, when Yaakov went through such sheer bitter Gehenim, the Mechiris of Yosef. Chaim l'chaim. Tonight, the Ilanishmas, Rabbi Yitzchok, Ben Abraham, and also Miriam Bas of Yosef, and Abraham David, Ben Abraham. And tonight, also, my daughter is giving a status for her Yemen letters. Which is Rikhov Bez Mirchen, Mabolina Teva Ganendi, Rikhashavam Mishanam Lachayim Lachayim. Everything goes better on vodka. Yomtev. We actually are supposed to start back with the Fabrain with Good Yomtev. Yomtev is Mishanam Teva. The Daka Chsidis, Limit Achasidis. 
We'll discuss that towards also when it comes to the Fabrengen part. How is it that the Yaakov, because Yaakov, the Shev is Mishalmu, the Yeshev, is the name of a Pasha where he goes to such turmoil and such Gehenim. Elamai Hagufakasha. This in itself, within itself, is its answer. Yaakov, wanting to rest, wanted to now settle down, said the Yavish, I'm going to send you the Dave, the concept of Dave, and Dave is now going to awaken within you such a level of unrest that when those last 17 years sitting in Mitzrayim with Yesav HaTzadik will be that much more enjoyable. We don't understand sometimes the tzad that we go through. Sometimes a person, Ahmad al-Tzad, goes through something. And this is another little dedication that I wanted to make tonight to a young lady that was nifted yesterday, Chai Goldabas of Yitzchak. 22, 23 years old. Yitzchak. Suffered terribly, terribly in Yenemachla. And uh, the Shama should have an aliyah. She should take a, be a good better for her little daughter, for her five year old daughter. She only wanted to make, do the right thing. She made brachas. The last conversation I had with her, I went to her bedside and I said, Goldie, I have to make a bracha. We're going to drink some juice. We're going to drink. She drank. She wanted to make sure what bracha she's making. Halachically, you have to know before you start the bracha what bracha you're making. She made sure she knew when the bracha, the hagofen, was grape juice. But she drank with me and she talked to me. Interestingly, on the last conversation, she sent regards to the certain people that she knew I was connected to. To my cousins, my daughter, to the Marich Hashem And she said to me, thank your wife for letting you come, as I went there several times to the hospital. Thank your wife for me. And that night, she went into a coma, and the next day she was nifter. And she went into a coma that night, I came back the next day, I said Vida with her actually. Very, very difficult thing to do. So, because Yaakov Lashavas B'Shalva, we go back to the original theme, Yaakov wanted to settle down. And we don't know sometimes, the Fum Tzara Agra, the Mishnah says in Pirkei according to the pain that we go through, that's how much the reward comes out. I had a question tonight. Now, I, I really would love if nobody ever questions me and asks me where I get these questions and why these questions come to me. And under what inspirations this, come to this, this comes to my mind. And even more so, I'd like, if you're not going to ask me, don't try to analyze it, because you're really going to have me put away. Um, <laughs> question is, <laughs> what goes through a dog's mind when he chases his tail? Only <laughs> I'm thinking of seeing in my mind's eye a dog chasing his tail. I'm trying to... What are you thinking when you're chasing your tail? Where did it come from, the question? 
this week's parsha we have two dreams of Yosef. In the first dream, they're taking together everybody, the bundles in the field. Everyone's bundles stand up. Yosef's in the middle. And they all bow down to Yosef's bundle. Needless to say, this caused turmoil amongst the brothers. They went ballistic. Then he came up with another dream. He had another dream. The dream with the moon and the sun and the stars bowing down to him. Common sense told the story before, so that we have a, my expert here, my archives, is going to right away come up with, you told the story before. I told the story before of the woman that came to Shul Pasha and she was reading the story in the Medrash on the bottom of the Chumash throughout the Kriya Satera. And when it came to the story of Mechilas Yosef, the selling of Yosef, she started to bawl and to cry and to cry. Nebuch, that poor Yingle is 17 years old, they threw him into a ditch with snakes, and they pulled him out, and they sold him to this merchant, and that merchant came down to Mitzvah, the poor child, not going to see his father again. And cried and cried. Everyone in the shul was going crazy. The older women were sitting there. They were mesmerized by this show. that everybody remembered Parashvayesha. The next year they all came to shul. The Bible shul was packed. And as soon as they started laying the tater, they saw her take her chumash, open it up, and looking at the bottom, and everybody started to watch the show. They're waiting for the theatrics. Five minutes, seven minutes, nine minutes, not a word, not a thing, not a beep, not a tear. Kriya finishes, she closes the chumash and kisses it, puts it away. And a lady walks over and says, I don't understand, last year you were crying hysterical and bawling about this passion, all of a sudden this year, Shah, still, what happened? She says, last year I felt so bad for that poor Yingala. He fell into this terrible matzav. This year he came back again, he deserves it. He should have known from last year not to come back. thinking. So Yezim's dreams, the first dream was bad enough. He got you in trouble. Chochem. Why are you going and telling the second dream? You see what it did to the first one. Why are you going to tell the second one now? You're going to only cause havoc here. Yezim says, I'll tell you the truth. You had a problem. You had a problem with my dream. You told me that we sit all day in the field and we gather together the bundles and everything else. Hey, you're missing this, okay? You're sitting on Skype, you're missing this. Uh, You're sitting in the field all day and we're gathering bundles. So you dreamt by night what you dream by day. You look at always at your bundle and you always imagine your bundle standing up and all our bundles bowing down to your bundle. No, agresa kunzi had a cholom. Kunzi gay now. And Yosef has a second dream about stars and sun and moon. This is less man de palga that this doesn't happen by day. There's nobody arguing with me. This is not something that's in a daily occurrence.
And therefore, if I dreamt it by night, it has a different connotation to it. And thereby, says Yosef, you now understand that the dreams have validity to them. So therefore also, only after the second dream, where it came about that he even dreamt something that was out, not outlandish, but not possible. Because he dreamt that his mother came also, and his mother was dead. So because he dreamt that, that's why, you guys don't understand what you're missing over here, you're sitting over there in the Skype. There's feedback that somebody else called in. Yeah, I'm getting you. I answered the text before he before he texted. Okay. So therefore, he says to him. Therefore, Vayikano Be'echov only takes place after the second dream, because the first dream. They said, that's what you think of by day. When it came the second dream, and it had things in it that are not humanly possible for him, A, to think about by day, and B, to even happen. Oh, somebody's phone. This, therefore, already said, this already sent an alarm. And because of this, they said, now we're starting to worry about you. Now we're starting to see that you want to become a king. You want to rule over us. Teda is very, very interesting. Teda takes Vayeshev and the next part right away is Miketz. And how does Vayeshev start off? Vayeshev starts off, Vayeshev has two dreams. How does Miketz start off? Pari has two dreams. Lahav the of those. Let's analyze. Before we go back to the dog chasing his tail. There's an answer, by the way. <laughs> I even have the answer. Pare has two dreams. And everybody comes to interpret it. Now the truth is, Pare saw in his dreams, we're going to talk about next week, the interpretations. That's why he knew that when Yasef gave him the answer, what the interpretations were, he knew these was right. Because everybody else that told him the interpretations that they saw, that they thought, he knew that's not what I saw in the dream. Only when Yasef gave him the the, the, the bitaron, only he was, he says, "Oh, now I understand. You're right. Why you can give?" Zokter. So the question is, when Pare has two different dreams, the grace of Chacham Yasef comes along. And Chacham Yosef says, both your dreams are one. Both your dreams are one. Yosef, Yosef doesn't have that. Yosef has two different dreams. And they're two different dreams. Where do we see the two different dreams? In the first dream, 
Malmim alumim. It was the brothers that were in the field together, and their their bunches bent down to him. That's what happened the first time. The brothers came down to Mitzrayim. The brothers came to Mitzrayim, and they bowed down to him. That was one episode. Later, when Yaakov comes with the whole family, and Yesh Emrim, that the Shivcha, that Rachel Shivcha was now considered his mother, which is interesting to note on tonight's Yatzeit. And that's why now when she bows down to him, so the second dream comes into fruition. Elamai, what's Beruchnis? Apiruchnis, Apichsidis, the first dreams, Yezus two dreams, and Paris two dreams are totally un- are totally not not synchronized. What's haste? Yosef has two dreams. The first dream is Oretz, is Dover Gashmi, is David Daimen, is it Semeach? What was it Semeach? The wheat that was growing in the field. It was all Oretz. The second dream was Shemesh Viareach, which is all Shemayim. So his dreams went but it went higher level to level. Mashain came party, went punkt faket. From Daimim Tzemeach Chayim Medaber, Daimim being the lowest and Medaber being the highest. Pari's first dream was the cows, which was Chai. The Chai was in the first dream, and the second dream was Tzemeach, was the stalks of wheat. He was therefore going down a level. Wow, the jelly rings really work. <laughs> yeah, I see that. I could have, got, I could have faxed you. Oh, I emailed you through here. <laughs> so that's not the jelly rings are for dessert. They're for dessert. You have to start with the real food. <laughs> this is therefore the difference between Chalim, Chalim Yosef, and Chalim Yosef of Pari. That the Chalimus Yosef were both Dvarim Ruchnim, and therefore they both come into fruition in different ways. One when the brothers come alone, and one when the brothers come with the father and the mothers. And then comes the second dream of, 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 of excuse me, those are two dreams of Yosef. Mashen came, Paris two dreams were one with the other, and therefore they were both translated in one way, because they were all talking about Dvarim Gashmim. People are fading out like the ghosts over here. Oh. And therefore we look at the end of our parsha of Parshas Vayeshev and again comes about dreams. Again talking about dreams but this is of a different level of dreams. And it comes out and he says that the butler, after he survives, a very strange word. Who 
Who, who didn't know the taich over here? Vile Zachar, he did not remember the Saramashkin Jason. Vayishkocheyu, and he forgot him. I don't understand. If he didn't remember him, he obviously forgot him. So, what's come the fun? So, I can know. Yasef made a boo-boo. Yasef made a mistake here. And this is the same mistake that he makes in the beginning of the Parsha, in essence. By quoting the dreams, by telling the dreams to his brothers, his father reprimands him for this. Not everything on your lung has to be on your tongue. you got to sometimes put a filter. You have to sometimes watch out how far you're going because you're going to antagonize. What did he antagonize? He antagonized his brothers here with the dreams, although they had to know the dreams because they had to know the pitanon, they had to know the future. At the end of Yosef, Yosef says, wait a minute. I'm so smart. And I told the Saramashkin and the Saraif from the Pitarim for their dreams. Now I want you, Saramashkin, that you're going to live and you're going to survive. I want you to go to the king and tell him there's a brilliant guy in the jail and you get him out. Saramashkin did not remember him. Then Yasef started to kick himself in the pants. And he says, I put my faith in a, in, a, in a butler? I rely on a butler to save my life, Rahman al-Islam? Where's my Munas al-Kim? Where's my Munas Hashem? Saramashkin didn't remember Yasef. Fine. Vayishkachehu, Yasef forgot. Yosef gave up on the Saramashkin. He said, the Saramashkin is not going to help me. So therefore he now said, I have to put my faith in God, not in the Saramashkin. And we all have this problem. We lose touch. We lose touch and we don't remember from the beginning to the end how we had to say, how we had to keep, be consistent with what we had to do. Your house, your your Skype keeps going on. That's the loss. That's the case here that we have here with Yosef. That's excuse me, that was Yosef, huh? A lawyer in the house. Say the chaim. Pass the plate. <laughs> this is the case that we have here. We had a question here, a very philosophical question. Why the yellow, he's asking. Oh, why? We had a very philosophical question, which I I asked that nobody analyzed how I came up with. What does the dog think when he chases his tail? It, uh, it runs deeper than I thought. And actually, in today's day and age, when you have such questions, you can do one of two things. You can try looking it up in the Gemara. Or you can Google it. <laughs> they both start with Gih. <laughs> I Googled it. And they come up with some fascinating ideas. But the main event that we have an idea is They don't know the head from the tail. Generally you only find puppies that do it, he says. 
And if a dog, an adult dog does it, there's something wrong with him. It's Michigan. Generally, the puppies don't know what it is. And they chase their tail. And when doing the research, they came up with a, a clip. Somebody shows a clip of a dog sitting on a couch, gnawing at a bone. And his leg, his hind leg all of a sudden comes up and tickles him behind the ear. And he chases the leg away. And he has this whole fight until he grabs hold and starts biting the hind leg because it keeps attacking his ear. <laughs> this is what we find here in essence. My wife left the phone here. Take a bracha. Straight out of the oven. Alright. Jelly, just pure jelly. This is Amazonas. Cookies are there, Amazonas. Cake over there, Amazonas. Deposit. This is therefore we find where Yosef Atzadik runs himself into this dilemma. And Yaakov Sadik, Vyeshev Yaakov, Pashva Yeshev, the Yaakov settled. How can we call it Parsha? That Yaakov goes so deep into turmoil by the Lushan that he is settled. And this is that what we're trying to explain. That they are one in one, one in hand with the other. That the fact that Yaakov had to go through what he goes through in this Parsha, the selling of Yasef, what he thought was the death of Yasef. The torturous death of Yosef. The lies of the brothers. To have to confront Yaakov, come through with such a lie and say, an animal ate him. What were they thinking? What are they trying to think? What are they trying to get away with here? What are they trying to... My grandmother, whose yard set was today as well, Miriam Basav Yasef used to warn us. A very interesting warning she used to always give us. Heaven and earth promised, and no secrets get lost. And as a child, we heard her, but we didn't hear her. She said it. And we knew that, you know, on, Bobby, on Bobby's lap, you're going to hear pearls of wisdom. We also knew from Bobby, from from Abba, from Tati, and from my uncles, my uncles are saying, Harakwe, Shavu Shlema, Yechil Miriam. We actually went to his house last night to Dav Mariv. So he said, Kalish for the minion. He made a little suda there for him. My, grandma, my, mother, my grandmother had a very interesting intuition. Throughout the war, they were on the run. They were on the run to an extent. I mean, they had a, a house in a town called Zagos, which was like a vacation home. It was like a vacation village per se, but. There were plenty of villagers there. My grandfather was the Chazan and the Shochet. And he had the only house in the city with hot and cold running water. In the house. 
when the Nazis came to town, they took over that house. That was their headquarters. Throughout the war, throughout from the beginning throughout the war, for somehow, somewhere, my grandmother had the intuition to always stay a step ahead. And she always, when she said, come the gate, we're getting out of here, nobody asked any questions. And it was two, three days later that the Nazis were there. So she always had, when they were deep in the force of Russia during the war, she, she housed, besides her own children, she housed many orphans, war orphans. It wasn't hard, there were plenty of them. And my father, Shalom, would tell us that first bites, first morsels of food that came into the house went to the orphans. They ate the leftovers. <laughs> and um, it was usually the boys had to go out and get whatever they can get from the market or wherever they could get it from. My uncle, Zangazunt, was the one that used to go out. Basically, my father always managed to find an excuse not to go. Um, amongst the excuses, he used to, they used to have to wrap the legs. They didn't have regular warm clothing. They wrapped the legs with towels, and he walked out in the snow. And when you came home, you were wet. They'd take it off, and they put it by the stove, by the oven. So my father, as soon as he got into the house, quickly ducked his, everything off. Now you have to dry it. You couldn't put it back on wet, so you had to wait till it dried. In the meantime, my uncle had to go out to get the food. One time, my grandmother outsmarted my father and got him to go with my uncle, and they came back with nothing, almost, because they passed by a bunch of hooligans, and they started screaming, Jidin, Jidin. And my father was not one to take these things lightly, and he started throwing the coal at them. And there's a whole... <laughs> a little civil war when it ensued at which point they came back empty-handed almost because my father un- unloaded everything on the guy's heads. And my uncle said, never again. I'm not taking this guy ever again. When it's not happening. But this was and she always kept to that. And we used to find out very often uh, the first time we rode a bicycle on the street. We obviously were not allowed to. Today you can't ride it on the sidewalk. But in those days... We were definitely not right in the street. And it was really no fun on the sidewalk. There were cracks in the sidewalk. And th- those days the city didn't take apart your sidewalks if you had a crack in it. And if there was a crack in the sidewalk, you'd sometimes hit a bump going on a bicycle quickly. You were toast. And, and it was painful. And we didn't have helmets. We didn't have guards and all these things. So we used to, you know, also sneak out into the street and do a quick pedal down the ladder. Who's going to catch you? The street's empty. No cars. Quick. It didn't take an hour and you got home. You didn't get a call on your cell phone, obviously. Um, 45 years ago. That's all we'd need. And you came home and you were called inside. Yes? Why were you riding in the street? It wasn't even on this block. You were three blocks away. Uh, uh, now what are you going to say I wasn't they didn't ask they didn't ask you were you riding in the street why were you riding in the street you were you definitely was in a rock and a hard place and we were not in the condition to, in position to be able to lie and to tell these things and we were caught why ride in the street you're asking why come on ride with me and I'll show you why I rode in the street 
No, you're not allowed to ride in the street, and you got, of course, punished through the. Um, there's no two ways about it. Today's day and age, parents would never be able to get away with the punishments we we going through. Um, no, they did not beat us. I know a, a, a friend, it was a neighbor, I think, that crossed the first time he crossed the street without permission. He must have been about five, and he ran across the street for the adventure. And he got tied to the dining room table, to the leg of the table, for 20 minutes or something. And, it was <laughs> and the next time we came out, and he says, who's going to run across the street? He was not volunteering. <laughs> and he finally explained, like about three weeks later, what happened to him. Um, and this is the same thing here. What are the brothers thinking? They're going to get away with this. And it says in the Farshim that Yaakovino did not really give up. He sat, shiva, he mourned and everything. Something was there because the fact is when a person is still alive, the person doesn't have that Avelis in them. They don't have it. And if I can, you go through the year of, 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 a, of a mourning, there's an emptiness that you feel throughout the year. And you know, because the person is missing, the person was, you know, you usually only use the expression for very young people, you know, not like, not like old people, like 59 years old. We're not talking about such old people. We're talking about the young people. <laughs> Yikes. They're torn from a myth. They were torn from our myth. It's an expression that's so, so powerful. But it leaves this massive wound and this massive void within our lives. To be just torn, and, and nobody's ever experienced it. Although there are enough people around this table alone that have experienced just such bites out of our lives. Okay, not you. You don't remember. You were two and a half. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Huh? The yeah. But. Yaakov felt there was something still there. And that's why ultimately when they come back and tell Yosef Chai, Yaakov doesn't have the heart attack that they expected him to have. He doesn't go into cardiac arrest and he doesn't have all of a sudden this trauma. He doesn't go have a stroke because he was... He knew that there was something always connected there. He didn't feel that the morning was, was what should be happening. And this is why we say now Yaakov, because Yaakov Shavas Bishalva, yeah, he was tortured throughout these years, 22 years without his son. But he did teach him a halacha before he left. Leibish, they're over here. You got more in the kitchen? Ah. 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 Take, I, I don't understand what you think we're doing with these leftovers. Eat them. We don't pass them around like this. There's a wedding over here. I mean, there's a whole punch in the kitchen. There's all, there's all the people who started bringing. Where's the key to Pearl? Yes, You just kiss life. That that goes after the ten o'clock hour. Going to the you just kiss life mode. We'll do a little bit before the ten o'clock hour, so we can those who want to log off on the ten o'clock.
They come to Yaakov and they tell him. They show him the garment. They say, Hakerno. Recognize this garment of your son. Now, <laughs> one thing we knew, they didn't do DNA testing in those days. Because Yaakov would have tested the blood. He would have seen it was not Yaakov. We see though, in, within the parasha, how God pays back Mida Keneged Mida. What was the Mida Keneged Mida here? The Sirism they used to dip the blood, Yehuda gets paid back later with the Sirism of Tamar. Rashi tells us in today's Chitas. Yeah, but we gained parrots. Oh, that's how we got parrots around. So what would we do without the parrots? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Could you explain that? What was that? What were you saying? When Yehuda goes down, Timnani meets Tamar, he thought she was a different type of woman. Now, again, we have to bear in mind, this is we're talking about Yehuda. We're not talking about just the regular man on the street that just all of a sudden found a woman. And when he goes to her, and she says, you have to pay me, he said, he didn't have what to pay her, he's going to send her sheep. What do you want as a collateral? And he gives her the collateral that he had, his ring and his staff, etc. And later, she took off the garbs of the woman of the street, and she put back on the garb of the widow. And when they came to redeem the collateral, this woman was nowhere to be found. What did they come? They came with this reason which is the same representation of the season that they could try to fool Yaakov with, they dipped the blood of in garment of Yosef. So he obviously didn't have the DNA of the blood. They tell him, Hakerno, recognize it. Now there was a few messages they were giving Yaakov. The brothers obviously, they were very jealous of Yosef. And the jealousy reached to an animosity. It reached to an animosity where they, they, they almost hated Yosef. Can't say it reached to an animosity that was only almost hated, probably an oxymoron. But in that effect, they were fart, they were his brothers. And this garment was the straw that broke the camel's back. This garment was the knife in their, in their hearts where they complained to their father about the treatment that Yosef was given more than they had. He bought him this special garment, saying this possible. So therefore they're throwing it back in his face and saying, recognize this. They tell an interesting story. In the olden days, not everybody knew how to read, believe it or not. And you would hire a melamed to teach your children. You didn't have yeshivas. So they hired a melamed. This fellow hired a melamed for his children. And the melamed was a person that knew how to read and write. And this melamed is sitting there. And one day the fellow gets a telegram. You know the story of the telegrams? Never mind this story. They're talking of telegrams, as you say. Nothing. 
talking about telegrams. This guy once gets a telegram, and he gets a telegram that knocks on the door. Who is it? It's Western Union. He says, what do you have? A telegram? Oh, he says, do me a favor. He says, what? Can you sing it to me? He says, it's not a singing telegram. But I never got a singing telegram in my life. Please sing it to me. He says, but sir, it's not a singing telegram. So what's, what's, it's a different price. I'll pay you the extra money. Please sing it to me. He says, sir, it's not a singing Please sing. Okay. Takes out his harmonica. Looks, opens up the telegram. And says, da-dum, 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 da-dum. Your dad is dead. Ah. Uh, Yes, that was a singing telegram that he got. He gets a, they tell a story, the person gets a letter, and um, he didn't know how to read it. So he called in the Malamud, he told the Malamud to read it. So the Malamud opens the letter and starts to read it. It's a letter from the man's mother, and the mother is describing how the last days of the guy's father, and how the father in the Shrikhanim Vedach passed away. The guy hears this and faints. Somebody's standing outside, and is watching this happen. This man is holding this paper in his hand. He's reading word for word verbatim. Doesn't blink an eye, doesn't flinch, doesn't move a muscle. And the other person is so affected by this letter that he faints. Comes running inside. He says, what's this all about? How did this happen? How did this come about? So he said, I just read this letter. Says, but it didn't affect you. She says, no, it didn't affect me. It wasn't mine. That's a wicked story they tell. The guy in the locker room. Locker room. They all, after a game, they're all in the lockers. Phone rings. Cell phone rings. Hello? Honey? Another story? Another story? Whose phone is this? So he says, Hakir, no. Recognize this. You'll see that this is in essence where this is coming from. And that's why it affected him so much more than it affected the brothers. Amongst the many things that we discuss always in Pash Vayeshev, it has to, it has to, this is one thing that we can't pass up before we go to a little bit of Yutas Kislev. Or a lot of bit. We read several times a year very, very interesting chapter of the Gemara, which is famously known as the Asarigamalchus, the ten people that were king the ten people that were killed as martyrdom. And the story begins, we read on Yom Kippur, we read on Tishabov. The king calls them in and says, What does your Torah tell you about someone who sells their brother for the slave? And they say he has to be put to death. He said, Who died for the selling of Yosef? Never has there been ten souls like you, and therefore they were chosen to die in the stead of the brothers. Immediately, Mephashim asked a very, very practical question. A practical question. Now you had the cookie ready. (laughs) There were twelve brothers. Yosef was sold. That's 11. Binyamin was a baby. That's 10. Reuven was not there. He went home. Or Rashi tells us he was in sack and, and cloth and fasting. Now these nine. 
So why did ten people get killed for the selling of Yosef? So the famous Medish tells us each one of the Asaraduge Malchus were from a different Shevet. They all came from a different tribe. There was a Cain Godel, there was this. Each one was from a different Shevet. One of the ten was not from a different Shevet. Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva was the son of Gerim, a convert. When they wanted to do the Mechina Seisev, they were only nine people. They needed a minion. They were Mitzdarev God. They were Mitzdarev HaKadosh Baruch They said, you are number ten. So when it came to Asari Regemalchus, nine represented the Shvatim, and the tenth one had to represent the tenth partner here. Therefore, that was Rabbi Akiva. And that's why the Rebekiva's words as Paruch and Nishmaseh was Hashemar Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Akhod. And the Talmudim said, Rebbe, even now, and he said, Kol all my life, I wanted to reach this, to be able to die with the words of Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Akhod. How do we know? Rashi brings out this very interesting story here that Reuven was fasting and had gone off to a different place and was not there. But we look at the actual Pasuk and we have a very, very strange phenomenon here. The brothers, let us say the brothers did not like Yosef. For argument's sake. Let us say, for argument's sake, they had vendettas to pick with Yosef. Let us say They didn't mind Yosef not being amongst them, or not being amongst the living for that. They were first. First of all, they were his brothers. And secondly, they were Jews. They were Jews. So, what would you think, after all said and done, and the dust clears, would be the reaction, the brother's gone, that's it, we got rid of him, ah, now let's go tell daddy. What would be the first thing they should do? The normal person at this point in time sits down and reflects. And reflects and says, what did I just do? Was that, was that really the way to go? Was that really what we should be doing? Was that really the idea? So let us See what the Pasuk tells us. They threw him in the ditch. And after beating him up to this thing, they sat down to eat. They sat down to have a meal. Lunchtime. Therefore we know that Reuven was not only not here, but Reuven was in sackcloth and fasting for an Aveda that he had done in last week's Pasha with his mother with the changing of the tents. Because he did not sit down with his brothers. They were sitting down to eat. He picked himself up and walked away. They should not notice that he was fasting. 
So they not noticed that he was fasting. He was not there when they sat down to the feast. That's how the Rashi therefore tells us as a form of Pshut HaShemikra, because technically, where's the Pshut HaShemikra here? Where does the actual, regular, simple explanation of the Pasuk dictate that Reuven was fasting with sackcloth? So therefore, it says Rashi, that if you look in the Pasuk, the brothers sat down to eat. And the reason Reuven was not here is because he went off, to, he walked off from there. He was not going to sit down and fed and feast with them. It's very strange phenomenon indeed that they should go and they should catch on to such an idea to do such a thing. This is therefore the phenomenon of the person as well. Where the person sometimes doesn't know where things begin and where things end. The life cycle is a life cycle. We know where that begins, we know where that ends. Nobody can dispute that, and nobody ever came back to tell us differently. Life cycle has come to an end. And actually, Yutes Kislev is the yard site of the Magid. And the yard site of the Magid, as the Magid was about to depart, as he was about to pass away, he tells the Alter Rebbe, today will be our joyous day. In other words, the fact that a person, a tzaddik, passes away from the world, for the tzaddik is a joyous day. For the tzaddik that sits in anguish and suffers within a human body, within the, re- the contains of a, body, of a person, of a physical body where the person limits him to such limitations, the tzaddik wants to ultimately be connected again totally, totally with God. Even though we learn, an hour in this world is greater than the entire existence in the world to come, because we can only accomplish Teira and Mitzvahs in this world, and that's why the Gemara tells us that there's a baskal, an announcement, one of the, uh, one of the announcers outside of Canadian. Ringan Eden actually announces, How good is it for the one that arrives here with his studies in his hand, that the tater that you have amassed on this world is what you take with you, that is your riches, that is your actual value that your neshama comes up with. Therefore, this is in essence the tzaddik's actual simcha when they leave the world. When the neshama finally re- re- reunites with its source. Why is the tzaddik happy? Because the tzaddik knows, I have what it takes to go where I have to go, to be where I have to be. Now sometimes we look at that and we say, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh. Did my father, did my mother... Yes, because when we look into it and we think about it, and we say, if I am a product, have anything, one of the places I go to on Fridays... I go every week, Baruch Hashem, since the Rebbe came out with Niftzayim, I go every week to put on film with people. And that's why I drive a car today, because one of the play, one of the offices is a car leasing company, and they leased me a, a car now for three years. Because um, they were fed up with me driving shmatas, they kept breaking down. And so they finally said, we're leasing this year, three years. And they're all from Russia, 
And one of them has a very interesting twist to his let's say fallacies. We won't call them shortcomings. But to the fact that he's immune to if he would end up marrying a shiksa it wouldn't bother him and that he eats whatever comes into the door, doesn't matter what restaurant it came from, he doesn't check if it has Ashgacha, he really would not care either way and doesn't care. Um he puts on film because the rabbi the rabbi asked him to. He fasts him kippah because the rabbi said so before him kippah. If the rabbi would not tell him, he told me straight. If you would not tell me before him kippah, don't forget the fast starts this time finished. I would not fast. He doesn't eat chametz on Pesach. You asked me not to eat bread on Pesach. I don't eat bread on Pesach. Might eat other things that might be chametzik. He will not eat bread on Pesach, and they like bread Russians. He says, I'm a byproduct. He considers himself a byproduct of society that went through communist Russia. And because communist Russia oppressed Taylor and Mitzvah, therefore he's a byproduct of what happened. On the other hand, us, in turn, that are looking to see where our parents, Nishamas, are at. If we're at a level that we want to know and that we are concerned with the neshama of our parents, that means our parents did something right. Did more than something right. Ad kedekach, that their byproducts are... And this is what ultimately it says when Yaakov passes away. Yaakov leimesh, Rashi says. Why? Yaakov did not die because ma'azari b'chayim, afu b'chayim. As long as his name and his legacy continues on, He's alive. And this is the same thing that we do for a parent. Thereby also, when it comes to a case where a father, where somebody comes to Maila, the person has Tamudabiyad because they look down and they scrutinize what the person produced. Not just what the person brings, but what the person produced as well. And therefore we are scrutinized for that in their name. We don't chase our tail though. We don't chase our tail because we know where the beginning and where the end has to be. We know where we have to start and where we have to finish. We know where we have to look and where we don't have to look. Shalom, shalom. It's okay, the food got cold. Today, it's your Tonight, Today we were Zeicha to finish off the cycle of the year of the Holy Tanya. Oh, oh you did it. Yeah. There was somebody selling pictures of the Rebbe recently, of all the old pictures they had of the Rebbe. And somebody walked by and saw my father's picture, my father getting Keshe Brocha. I don't know. Yeah. And um, he bought it for me. Ah, he took $5 for it. He didn't buy it for me. Sorry. He bought it and came to me and told me, for $5, you get it. So Morty, I gave it to Morty and Morty made the justice on it. In the last Patek of Tanya,
which is today's chitas. Yeah. A person has to reprimand or reprimand only your friend. What is reprimand only your friend? Only your friend in that, if you know, says the Gemara, that he will not listen to you or that will cause an adverse um, reaction, you should not reprimand. Only if you know that the person will accept it the way you're telling it to him. And with Afilu Me'apomim, says the Al-Tarebbe, it brings down that this is something that comes about even if it's a hundred times. And with this, the Al-Tarebbe chooses to finish his last Patek, his last chapter of Tanya. The Al-Tarebbe, when he put out Tanya, was originally put out in Kuntres, in the little pamphlets. One of the things that the Misnagdim turned up the, 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 the pot with, stirred the pot with, was taking the Holy Tanya, the pamphlets, and twisting translations of words and giving it to the government to put the Al-Terebbe in the light of a revolutionary. And which ultimately landed the Al-Terebbe in prison. Although, when the Chassidim, when the Hebraic Kadisha assembled, and they put a counter Chedim on the Misnagdim, the Misnagdim put the Chassidim and Chedim, and the Chassidim, the Kavrayi Kedisha put a counter Chedim on them. The Altarebbe was very weary of signing. He was the tenth one. And as weary as he was of signing it, the others asked him, what is the halacha in this case? And he had to say the halacha was that it had to be signed, and therefore he was forced to sign but when the Magid got wind of it, he was very displeased, which is why the Al-Tarebbe did not want to sign, because he knew the Rebbe was not happy. But the Al-Tarebbe said that because, the Magid told them, because you did it, it will always be Yad HaChassidim Bal Yena. You will always have, the hands of the Hasidim will always conquer, will always overcome anything that gets presented to them. And that's why the Tanya, ultimately, the Al-Tarebbe printed it as an entire book, so that it should not come out in Kuntresim, they should not have a chance to any longer distort any translations. But one of the most powerful things that Chassidim for years and years and years, hundreds of years of bringing on when it comes to Yutas Kislev, the Atta and now, says the Al-Terebbe, Bossi, I've come, Chachin, Zakin, Atzman, Kol to Eid Le'elam Chassashalom. I'm trying to now fortify Everything that goes on, all the problems that come on, and the Altarebbe puts in parentheses, Gewalt, Gewalt. How long will this be for us as a stumbling block? And the words Gewalt, Gewalt, Chassidim have sat nights, hours, Fabringing of the words Givalt, Givalt. What an, what an outcry. An outcry that only a Jewish heart cries out. And this is from the depth of a Jewish heart. Givalt, Givalt. And this is what the Altarebbe brings to, to, to light. And with which the Altarebbe ultimately finishes off. The person has to be careful. 
simply how they talk. Just like God was so careful and immaculate with every single word that He put out when He created the world, so too it is our obligation to watch each and every word, how we say it and how we... And then the Al-Tarebbe begins again, the Tanya Kadisha with Tanya Besev Perigimu, the Nida Mashpiyan say that we are sworn into being a Tzadik and not being a Rasha. And this is why Chassidim are given the task of not just carrying on in terms a legacy, not carrying on a, a request, but rather living a way of life. Living a way of life that this becomes our essence. And again, we find the same in the end of the Hayyam Yayim. What did they do to this Hayyam Yayim? My gosh. Very confusing Hayyam Yayim. Did they start off to show you? I don't know what it starts with. It goes in the months, in order of the months. So it seems. It goes in order of months. It doesn't just finish off your test kiss, I Maybe that's like in the back, maybe that's in the distance. Maybe you're too far back. No, here's kiss them. Half test kiss them. One second. Where's the actual idea? This is one strange. This is the month of kiss No, it starts off all of the days. I'm very confused in the book of Hayyamim, which is very... I'm trying to see how it starts. Tezvav, Tezayin Kislev, Yudalit Kislev. Okay, this is a very confusing... I would say, actually, it must be... Maybe the pages weren't put in right. I don't know. Maybe it's put in the wrong way. Maybe it's starting with... You know what you remind me of? Rabbi Mentlikal of Hashem used to take the tendons in Chayv Maybe it's an English book and you start it from the wrong side. Uh, It... Maybe I maybe. could be you're right. Yeah, That's yeah, right. Yeah. Now this is Yitches. Here's Yitzayin. Here it says Get Yomtiv Lashana Teva Belimet of Siddhis Dark Siddhis Tegaseva Chaseva. Yeah. And that's how it finishes off the Yemen. We don't say Tachnon. And he goes down on to how it may be inscribed and sealed for a good year. Study of Chasidus and the paths of Chasidus. Therefore, he starts to decide again. There you go. Correct. He starts with Yutes Kislev. Wonderful. We did it. We figured it out. Rabbi Mentlik used to take care of the Chevetera, uh, the attendants. And he had an interesting way. Instead of a roll book, a Delaney book, he had a map of all the tables on his desk, on his table. And each table would mark down which Bakram was sitting at those tables. So every day he would look at table number one, two Bakram were there, you were here. Two Bakram there. <laughs> he one day, but he ultimately knew the names. Calls over a Bakram, he says, it's already two weeks, I haven't seen you in Bismillah. What's wrong with you? You were such a good boy. He says, you have to excuse me, but I haven't missed a Seder. I never miss, I, I'm here every day on time. I'm early and I leave late. How, how can you tell me this? 
Shemendik says, it's two weeks that I'm looking for you. I don't find you. I mark down. Look, I have two weeks marked. That you're not. But Shemendik, I'm in my place, the same seat every single day. He says, I don't understand. Look, here is the table. This is your table. And this table is always empty every day. He says, Shemendik, I don't sit on this table. I sit on that corner. So I meant the looks again, he looks again, he looks again. <laughs> he says, it's upside down. <laughs> and he turned over the map after two weeks of marking. It's, it, it, you know, it loses, it's terrible, it loses the translation. But I meant that he used to speak very slowly because he stuttered when he was young. And they never told him to speak slowly and he won't stutter. And it, it, it worked. And he goes, he had a tremendous sense of humor. And therefore we go to the Hayyem Yayim of Yutes Kislev. As we did the Siyan now of Tanya, in the beginning of Hayyem Yayim, we'll say the Chayim, the Lulav, the Rav Magid, Mizrich. As we said before, on Tuesday, Pashva Yeshev, Tafkulav Gimel, and his resting place is in Anapol. I was there. Everybody else signed out, I see. Dal Terebe, Went out of prison for the first time, Yutas Kislev, Yeshev, 26 years later, towards the evening. From the letter that Al-Tareb writes, Shem Shalom. Al Rebbe wrote that this is the day that the on this day came to let know that as I was sitting, the Al Rebbe was saying the part the tilim of the day, not of the, the the month, but rather the day of the week. And therefore, it was Tuesday, and his passion the saying capital nun hey. As I reached to the word, says the Al Rebbe of Padav Shalom Nafshi, says the Al Rebbe. Says the Al-Tarebbe, I was redeemed before I finished the Pesach. So now we're getting the people that signed out sending, sending texts and BBMs that we'll see you next week. That's very nice of you. Um, just for the Chaim. <laughs> there are many, many stories of the Al Tareb in prison. The Rebbe asks. As is in every story. That we have, that we celebrate a liberation of any sort, we repeat the story on day of liberation. The Rebbe says, therefore, it's imperative on the day of Yutaskisev also to repeat to very briefly the arrest and the liberation of the Alter Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe was arrested on charges of treason of trying to, as the Al-Tareb explains in Tanya, 
of the ten spheres, Malchus is the lowest. And therefore, they right away said to the Tsar, he's telling you how kings are worthless. <laughs> yeah, you see, this is the beginning. How you like that? Um, phew, it was upside down in the case, that's right. It was upside down in the case. That makes sense? How about I open the case the wrong way? That doesn't make sense. It only because it was upside down in the case. I pulled it out upside down. Ugh. Sometimes you're going to get there, Rabbi. And the other trees, the, the, the Al-Tarebbe collected money for the, the poor people in Etzisrael, etc. And therefore they considered him that he was collecting for the Turks, for the revolutionaries. All the trumped-up charges against Al-Tarebbe. And the famous... I, had, I have a cousin, Farakwe, does, he, he does balloons for children's shows. So I brought him to Yeshiva one year, a few years ago. I asked him to tell the story of Al-Tarebbe with the balloons. And he made the most magnificent wagon out of balloons with the horses and everything. And all of a sudden the wheel comes off and all of a sudden the horse pops. It was amazing. <laughs> I will tell you, what was more fascinating than the whole story was, first of all, the children will never forget the story of the Al-Tarebbe now. But the teachers did not move. <laughs> Usually when you bring a speaker to an assembly, the teachers weed their way out. They sneak out, they go outside. Because what they're going say, here, nobody, they, they were just sitting there mesmerized to <laughs> this guy. <laughs> he did a fantastic, fantastic job. They brought the black wagon. The black wagon signified only death. As they brought the black wagon, and the Al-Tarebbe was arrested. The morning was beyond. And they arrived six hours, it came six hours before Shabbos, which is another part of the story which teaches us a lesson that six hours before Shabbos we don't travel. Six hours stop working. No, you stop six days before Shabbos. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I tell you, you got to work on Sunday. Now you see why. Because <laughs> you'll work on Sunday, you have to work the whole day. That's it. <laughs> so six hours before Shabbos, Al-Tarebbe said we have to stop. And they refused to stop. So the axle broke. And they fixed the axle, and the horse died. And they brought another horse, but the wagon wasn't moving. And they begged the Al-Tarebbe, at least let us get to the next town. The Al-Tarebbe said, this is where we're staying. Shabbos, he let them pull off to the side of the road. And the tree till today, where the Al-Tarebbe spent Shabbos, is still flourishing. It's a dead, devastated, desolate area, but the tree still is there, still exists. The other famous story in prison that the Al-Tarebbe was performed when they used to take him for an interrogation across the river, it was time for Kiddush Levana. And the Al-Tarebbe asked that the boatman stop the boat so that he could do Kiddush Levana because he can't do Kiddush Levana on a moving boat. And he refused. So the boat stopped. And the boatman never thought he, either he's paralyzed or he's in the twilight zone or whatever it might be, but he's trying to move and the boat's not going anywhere. And finally he realized the Al-Tarebbe has got him under control. So he started to tremble and the Al-Tarebbe said, okay, I'll let it go. And the boat started to move again, and then the Al-Tarebbe said to him, now I want to stop for Kiddush Devara. So he said, okay, and he stopped. Sikhis, the Al-Tarebbe spoke on this story. Why did the Al-Tarebbe wait until the boatsman himself stopped the boat, rather than the Al-Tarebbe stopping the boat? Why didn't he use it then? And how the Dovish Bigdusha cannot be used for such things? 
it's a story that we tell the children before they go to sleep at night, but yet so deep and so... The visit that the Al-Tarebbe has in prison, the cell the Al-Tarebbe was in was barely enough for the Al-Tarebbe to sit in. Leave it to the Russians to con- con- concoct these type of tortures. And the story is that the Balshemtev and the Magid come to the Al-Tarebbe physically in his cell. And they stood there and they discussed why he's in prison. He asked them, why am I in prison? And they said, because you started Chassidus. And he said, does that mean, therefore, that when I leave, I have to stop? And they said, no, once you've started teaching it, now you have to go all the way. So at that point, he knew that he's going to get out. But they came physically in the cell. So all these stories are something that we listen to and we hear as a child. But we hear as a child and we take for granted as a great as a great story to go to sleep with. But each and every one of these stories have lessons that are deeper and deeper than we even can imagine and more than the liquor that we have here tonight that keep us going. And we don't actually. Because if I open that cabinet we're all in trouble. We're going to be here for a long time. Chakras a quarter to seven probably won't be ready. Um... I was walking up before Shabbos. I was like, you know, I wasn't sure if it was Shabbos ready or not. It was and this, the Lama Alpha and the King, the gets freed. And the freedom of the Altarebbe in itself was a story. How the Altarebbe comes home to the house, they bring him back to the house he was supposed to go to, and they brought him to the wrong apartment. And the apartment that he came into was that of a misnagid. And the misnagid reamed him out for hours on end. Until the chassidim realized he wasn't here. Where is he? And they went looking for him and they brought him and he said, Here's your Rebbe, take him home. And the Rebbe was sitting there with a cup of tea that his host gave him. And the Rebbe said, Wait, I'll come. And he finished the tea and made the bracha chreina. Because the host gave it, therefore he did not want to insult the host. And only then did he leave. And the Al-Tarebbe said, the 53 days I sat in prison, which is 53, connected to 53, Parakim of Tanya, was nowhere near as much torture as the few hours that I sat with this Misnag and how much he tortured me. So we see... the a seven-year-old walking around at 10.15. She escaped. She's another escapee. And this is therefore we say that the becomes Rosh Hashanah the Hasidus and a game that we are we dress in our Shabbos clothing and that we celebrate with no tachnun and with all the other things that we celebrate with because we see how the pure breakthrough of the world of the Yad Hasidim Al was given precedence at this point and that is what till today gives us and keeps us going and will keep us going even those especially those who bring Chabad out to a campus who are the pioneers of bringing Chabad to a campus and that's something that they will always a badge that they will always carry quietly sitting at the end of a table middle of a table wherever they're going to sit quietly but they are the ones that ultimately are the ones that brought Chabad to that campus 
and they are the ones that have the schus for it, and every Talmud that ever comes around to Chabad, or every Talmud that ever is going to learn Chassidus, or that's going to put on tefillin through Chabad, or that's going to continue putting on tefillin, every mitzvah is their schus. And therefore, the Chaim Chassidim, the Chaim brothers, and we should be zeicher that this should be the Yutas Kisay that we all get redeemed, redeemed from the Golas Amitas the Chaim. Oh,